fate of the universe lies on your shoulders. Now, whatever you do, don't push this button. Because that will set off the bomb immediately, and we'll all be dead. Now, repeat back what I just said. I agree. No! No, that's the button that will kill everyone. Try again. I'm Groot. Mm-hmm. I'm Groot. Uh-huh. I'm Groot. No! Showtime, a-holes. Yeah, I feel a general unselfish love for just about everybody. No, sexual love. No, no, I don't. For her. No. <laughs> she just told everyone your deepest, darkest secret. Dude, <laughs> come on. I think you're overreacting a little bit. You must be so embarrassed. <laughs> do me, do me, do me. So should I bring this in or, or what? I'm ready. What are you waiting for? Jesus. I'm just waiting for you guys to be ready to go. What? I'm gonna fall asleep. You don't hurry up. Built to have his grape nuts. Nice. That's more than I want to know about Bill. I'm talking about mirror looking. Who's, who was that? That idiot that they used to have do the commercials. The one who like you know you could eat the bark off a tree. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you saying that's me? Yule something. Not Yule Brenner, obviously, but Yule something. Oh, uh, he was a real guy too, wasn't he? Yeah, Hyde. Like he wasn't playing. Yeah, uh, no, tight. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program where we put everything up against the Jaws scale and see where it lands. Gibbons. Um, what's that? Gibbons. Yule Gibbons. That's thank you for inter- interrupting the introduction of that. <laughs> You're welcome. Welcome to Is This... Shut up! Shut up! The host is mad now. <laughs> now. Now I have to go into a little bit of a, a snitch. I haven't had a pause like that in school since, like, elementary school with the teacher. Think like, alright, you guys done? Think about what you did. <laughs> I will while I shoot a slice. You could just shut up, then I could bring this in. No wonder Grape Nuts was never a top seller with this friggin' half dead looking guy doing the cur- Wow. You looked it all up? He's frightening. Yeah, it, the Grape Nuts kept him too regular, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> he was losing like half his colon in the morning. Colon wow. blow. <laughs> 
He reminds Ooh. me of that. Oh, what was that movie? You didn't even know how to spell Yule. With... Children shouldn't play with dead things. <laughs> right. <laughs> he he was the zombie that they were they kept they kept around as a pal until he he finally came back to eat them at the end of the movie. What's he? He's eating a cat of nine tails. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Isn't that what's in straight nuts? I don't know. He's saying, "Do you, you know what a cat of nine tails is edible?" No, and I never even once in my life even wanted to put a cat of nine tails in my mouth. That's it's probably advisable not to put a cat of nine tails <laughs> in, in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, not even a cat of one tail. No, exactly. Okay, that's yeah. enough grape nuts. Do I try this again? Sure. Oh, I, I thought we were still going. No, 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 no. Oh, and I went, I went, this is not the Yule Gibbons review program. Oh, that that was a, that was a good opener. <laughs> yeah. It was strong. There's a reason you don't do podcasting anymore. Ooh. That hurts. Low blow. Buddy blow, buddy blow. Knock him out. Right in the grape nuts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, Hello, everybody. Shut up! <laughs> Are we done? Can I do this? Uh, Paul's writing down right now on a piece of paper. One guest at a time. <laughs> one guest at a time. You brought this on yourself. <laughs> I did. I did about whatever it is, five, six years ago when I started talking to you idiots. It was more than that, man. <laughs> whatever it was. More than that, old man. I don't know. I lose total track. It's, it's been it forty-seven like... years. <laughs> Somehow I'm caught in some sort of cosmic time loop here. <laughs> forty-seven we'll years, and I'm sick of all of your faces. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program where we compare every movie we come up with on the Jaws scale and see where it lands. Today we're looking at Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and I have a star-studded, well, I have these guys. I have Mr. Scott H. Gardner. Hi. Mr. William Robinson. I'm Dr. Bill, y'all. And Mr. Chris Honeywell. Is Pete Hesh cool? <laughs> Is it... <laughs> Did you, was there ever a time in your life where you like walked around and showed pe people pictures of Pete Hesh and said that was your father? I <laughs> wish I had a picture That's, of him that, back then. Was, Scott and I would have killed for a picture of Pete Hesh. All, all we had really as a as any recorded evidence of Pete was like <laughs> that recording you made coming back from the fair one day with uh, I, I think it was Randy and Pete and Gary. And you just yeah, my, no, it was my grandfather. It was, was, it, grandfather? Was the, it was the family car, yeah. And, and Grandpa grudgingly gave Hesh a ride home from the. It was from the state or from the county fair, from the Jefferson County Fair. Sure, it wasn't county lockup. Oldest fair in the country. <laughs> I was say, was it the state prison? <laughs> Folsom County Blue. So as I said, though, we're here for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, which, as we record this, has been out for a week. We've all had a chance to see it. We are all pretty high on the first volume of this uh, particular franchise. And we all had high expectations going into this one. So the question is, 
Did it hold up to our expectations? Is it as good as the first one? Where does it land? Let's uh, let's go around the table quickly here. Start in the order, same order we went. Scott? Oh, you're going to start with me? Um, I, I enjoyed it very much. Okay, moving on. Dr. Bill? Um, you know, oh, you're going to start with me next? Um, I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> Chris? I sat in the theater and enjoyed it very much. All right, everybody, Very tune much. in two weeks for our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, does anybody actually want to give some initial thoughts on this movie? I'm very enthusiastic about it. I I loved it. I I could I I it would. It's hard to say which one I enjoyed more of the two movies. As a sequel, it's one of the better sequels of all time. I think it's it's up there. You can't compare it with Empire, like story-wise, but it, in quality-wise, I I thought they they sort of stepped up and deepened it a little bit without taking away any of the charm of the first one. I loved it. I can't wait to see it again. I'm interested in knowing how it's going to hold up to repeated viewings. Mm. I really enjoyed my first viewing of it. Have not seen the second one yet. Uh, I I've said it on several occasions as we've talked about different movies that when movies go a little heavy on the humor I start to wonder you know if it's going to age well and this movie was heavy on humor now some some comedies age very well others not quite as much so uh, I think only time is going to tell them on that but what I would say about this is it did have a level of depth to it that was almost hidden in the humor there was a lot of stuff going on with these relationships between the people. There was, you know, and we'll, I guess we'll talk more about it as we go along. But I think there was a hidden depth to this movie that you actually have to think about it a little bit to come out with that. Almost all the but, humor in it was, as far as, like, humor generated by a character, was, like, humor that had pain behind it. You know, some sort of pain or trauma or, or bad past, you know? Well, with the exception of uh, Baby Groot, which was Baby just Groot, yes. pure pure humor with really no pain. Aw, but they, they, they tortured the little fella. Made him put on that little suit and dumped alcohol all over him. Poor little Groot. That wasn't really the humor, though, now, was it? <laughs> they thought it was funny. <laughs> but the, the humor Taser face and them thought it was funny. Stupid taser face. See, I think the humor will be similar to Ghostbusters humor. I think it it, it, it comes from the the uh, charisma of the actors, you know. And there's a few, you know. I mean, there's a lot of modern phrasing in it, sort of. But at the same time, uh, Peter Quill is the only like real direct tie to Earth, and his ties to Earth end 1980. So like. The music in it and the humor in it is sort of is sort of locked off a little in that that era, so that might make it a little more timely while still making it. Kind no, no, of... he's 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 got a zoom now because his Walkman was crushed. Right, but he I... was like amazed by. It. He's like, you could put three hundred songs on songs? here. <laughs> yeah, you know. So you know, he was an eighty. You know, even though he's in space where there's living planets and. You know, a kaleidoscopic display of spaceships every five minutes. The zoom's like, whoa. Yeah. 300 songs. It was so nice to see a young Kurt Russell, and I think that the de aging stuff is getting better. 
Someone told me that that was partially prosthetic. Really? Yeah, that some of that Kurt, was Kurt real. Russell said Kurt Russell said that it was ninety percent uh, makeup and just ten percent CGI. Wow, really? Hmm. It looked really good, mm-hmm. and the way they filmed it was was very effective. But yeah, he could have gone. You could have had him through the whole movie in, in, as young Kurt Russell, and uh, and I don't think it. You, I, I don't think you would have even been thinking about it after about ten or fifteen minutes, you know. Yeah, they even de-aged real Kurt Russell in there because, like, I I can't remember the name of the movie. Uh, West, I watched a a couple. Well, I saw the Hateful Eight. He was in that too, and he was in another western just before it. And you know they were filming every crag of his face, and he's you know he's grizzled now. So I couldn't I help that... but wonder if maybe some of the de-aging in this was pulled from Tango and Cash just as an inside joke, you know, because he and uh, and Stallone this were together is... oh, in that movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah, this is the reunion movie. Yeah, it yeah. very well could could have been by judging by James Gunn's sense of humor and and uh, just filmmakership. I, I well, for that, heard that, for that reason, it's it's a little disappointing that they didn't have a scene together. Mm. Yeah, I thought that too. Yeah, well, I was gonna say yet, yeah, but <laughs> no, probably. Yeah, not. there was a lot of little things that 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 were changed in here from what we used to in the comics. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Like like the fact that he was um, ego was a was a celestial apparently. Now, I, I don't think if... find that though. They yeah. haven't really given us a definition for well, what constitutes a celestial yeah, in I the know. Marvel Cinematic Universe. Is that an elder of the universe? Is that you know, would the Grandmaster be a celestial also? Will Thanos be a celestial? Well, I was wondering if if he when he said that, did he mean celestial capital C, you know, as in the beings that we know in the Marvel universe, you know, the comic book universe as celestials, or did well, he mean celestial with a little c meaning a celestial being, you know, a, a cosmic being. I think he is a planet because he did, because he said he heard of, of a an Earth man who had held a, a Infinity Stone and did not die. Right. So, and the Celestials were the ones that you know wielded those in the past. So, but I was a little confused because well, he wasn't in a big giant celestial suit. Right. He would. He was just a brain. That created a that created a planet around him. I like the way he told the flashbacks, the way that they portrayed them, with the weird. I, I don't want to say dioramas. Well, well, yeah, I was going to say claymation, but dioramas a lot better. I I love that scene because or when when he was also explaining his origin and stuff. It was that dialogue. I turned to, to Scott McGregor in the movie theater, and I'm like, "Are we listening to an actor actually speak Jack Kirk, that Jack Kirby dialogue that would be in a, <laughs> which you would see and you would think nobody could ever speak this and not make it just sound ridiculous, you know? And yeah. it was flowing right out, you know, and and just but the way that the dialogue was phrased and stuff, it's that like regal semi-pretentious way of describing things and well, was it jack kirby dialogue or stan lee dialogue or stan lee but just sort of it would be in that those stan or those jack kirby comics that would have galactus and the celestial everybody talked 
you know, uh, almost like they were out of the Old Testament a little bit, you know, like they were like sci-fi Old Testament, you know, they were very formal and cosmic in their pronunciations and, you know, so say, you know, ego, the living planet and, and Kurt Russell made it seem natural. And then, you know, a, a little while later, he's describing the lyrics of Brandy, you know, as if they were great poetry. <laughs> and yeah. it's beautiful. It makes perfect sense. I, I, The more I think about this movie, the more, like, I think they made a great decision this time just letting James Gunn just write it, just be the writer on it. And I think it holds it together and... And the, the, the little tricky things, he Easter eggy references or, you know, references and stuff, they all work really good. They don't end up taking you out of it or, or being forced. And his use of music is... I, I know, Scott Gardner, you've never been a fan of the soundtrack album that's a collection of pop songs. Right. But, uh, the, the way that they incorporate these into the movies... It's it's not just a collection of pop songs, you know. They they in um, Ian Levenstein, I, I got to give him credit after seeing the movie the second time. Um, he said he, he his observation was that uh, the movie sort of mirrors the lyrics of Mr. Blue Sky, and I was thinking, you know, that sounds like something James Gunn would do, you know. Just give the the sort of plot that, and then you have that song at the beginning that sort of, and you know and. And mixing the lyrics of Brandy and and, and and that, you know, goes into Peter Quill's whole emotional diary. It's 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 brilliant. I, I, I'm I'm really loving James Gunn as a filmmaker. And Yeah, uh, I'm very curious to see uh, his Kingsman movies. I, I'd really like to see those. Oh, I, he did those too? You see I yeah. skipped those because they the... sounded like something I wouldn't like. And, I but thought I, the first Kingsman movie was uh, the guy who had done Kick-Ass. And, that's what uh, I, yeah, that's what I thought. Hmm, maybe I'm wrong. I, the, I thought he, I thought James Gunn did that. The, the two um, movies I'll I've look seen that up. of his before were... Uh, it, it, was it called... Was it Slither? I think it was called Slither. It was a monster movie, and it had Rooker in it, too. And Matthew Rook Vaughn did Kingsman. No, Matthew Vaughn did uh, X-Men First Class. X-Men First Class, yeah. Um, Did he do both of the Kingsman movies? Uh, well, the second one hasn't come out yet. Kingsman, the Golden Circle. The, yeah, yeah, he's Matthew the one on that as well. Well, he's the producer. I don't know if he's. Yeah, the I director. thought the whole reason they director. they showed the previews for that movie during Guardians Two, or at least in my theater, they did. I thought the whole reason they did that was because James Gunn had done that. Well, Sorry, did, I didn't did mean anybody to see us. Super? Super. The nope. movie Super. Yeah. It had that guy, Rain Wilson, I think is his name in it. And that was a James Gunn movie that I saw that I didn't even know James Gunn directed it. And uh, it was about a schlubby guy who has a little mental breakdown and decides to be a superhero. But he's not, in, it's sort of a dark version of Hero at large. And uh, he, he befriends this girl at a comic shop who's like this teenage girl who's kind of psycho and she wants to be a and she like sort of blackmails him into being a sidekick sounds and, a little bit like uh, kick-ass it, it's it's 
it came out right around the same time as Kick-Ass, and it was a low-budget, sort of similar thing as Kick-Ass. A lot better. I, I, I didn't like Kick-Ass that much. It was it was a watchable, fairly enjoyable movie, but there are things about it that, that I was kind of like, didn't like just like philosophically and and the the a lot of the stuff that it covered it, it could have covered it in a more you know not realistic manner because kick-ass was definitely not a realistic it was sort of like violence porn in, in a lot of ways which i like <laughs> but um super really got into the like psychology of the characters and was a lot a lot funnier and more you know more of a realistic movie in in a lot of ways it wasn't you know real pure realism but it was really good and it had a kind of really uh kicker punching the gut ending and uh thinking thinking about like slither and that and then guardians of the galaxy he reminds me of sort of like a more accessible version of like Quentin Tarantino who's make makes movies that are almost like self-aware they're they're celebrations of the of movies in themselves so like a, there's a lot of times in Guardians and Guardians 2 where characters will vocalize you know what they're what they're doing or oh this is a stupid move or something something almost like commenting on the plot and uh which can get really annoying if it's not done right, but the way they do it, you know, you, you, you know, you never like, this is, you know, this is completely real. It's always got a little bit of a sense of humor about it, but not enough to take away from the reality of what's going on. It's, it's brilliant. I can't wait to see it again. There's so much stuff in it <laughs> to like, as my mind goes over it, I keep remembering more and more scenes and elements to it. And usually that's a bad sign for a sequel. Usually that means it's getting a little too... Comp like people, the, when people complained about the second Avengers movie and they're like, oh, they're trying to get all the kitchen sink in there. But this movie didn't feel like that, you know? Well, there is, there is an element of needing to... Not needing to, but wanting to give each of your ensemble their moment. And I do think they managed to do that in this movie. I don't think there's anybody who really got sold short. No. They don't it, all have character arcs necessarily, but they all have, you know, I mean, Groot got plenty of... Groot, ha, I would say, had the least character arc, arc, rather, but he probably had the biggest, you know, the most screen time for, for, for how little he really did. I mean, he was really comic relief in this movie. But everybody else seemed to have at least some uh, some sort of character arc. You had Drax with his quasi love story with Mantis. <laughs> you, had, you had Peter Quill and his dad. You had Rocket and his male bonding with Yandu. Yandu had his own arc. Yandu ended up being like to me like the arc with resonance in it. It, 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 it almost yeah. became Yandu's movie for me. Well, Yandu was amazing like, that, they, that they managed to. Uh, you know, to make his character sympathetic and likable by the end of the movie. Yeah, more yeah. more more than even sympathetic and likable. I was like, I was like, yes. <laughs> now we got Yandu in Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, I not was only like, do we have him, but he's got the big fin on his head, just like in the comics. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
I kind of saw the thing with Yondu and Ego and and Peter Quill was that Yondu was the father figure that Peter didn't really know he had. You know, but he kind of realized that at at, at the end. He he would have, and that his real dad was a dick. It, well, that's so. a, that, it's all it's all about all with with all the Guardians characters. It's all about if they just actually talk to each other honestly. <laughs> they had all that stuff figured out you know, a mm-hmm. long time ago, but they're all so, you know, traumatized by their past that they, they you know, can't relate to each other beyond humor, you know, when they they, mm-hmm. they just have to have, have these little points, and I mean, that was, that that's why the Mary Poppins scene, I think, resonant, for A, it's hilarious, but B, <laughs> it's like that moment when Peter Quill is like, he's gonna insult him, or he does insult him, and then he's just like, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna insult this guy, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, and you can see Yandu just fills up with just like, yes, <laughs> he, you know, he thinks I'm cool, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's a, it's a pretty simple, you know, sort of storyline, and it plays off a lot of the first in the first movie of like, you know, you're finding your family, and stuff, but you, I mean. It's a two-hour fun summer movie. You don't you, you don't want to get too deep with it. It's just the perfect, and they have the two sisters too. They have the two sisters work out their family trauma too. Everybody gets a little, even Stallone's character gets a little bit of a arc, you know, coming around now, after Yandu. I have to admit, with Stallone's character, until after the movie was over and somebody told me, I did not know who he, who he was supposed to be. He's Starhawk, I which he was I Judge thought, Dredd. <laughs> I had originally heard, or I had thought I heard a spoiler that he was Darkhawk, and I was like, that makes no sense. Why would he be Darkhawk? And and then after, um, you know, I listened to it. It's like, oh, he's Starhawk. He's yeah, because uh, Ving Rhames was supposed to be um, Charlie Charlie twenty seven twenty seven, and yeah, then I Mike didn't Rose catch was, that at all. I caught that and, in the in the credits that Charlie 27 was was in the movie and I recognized the name Ving Rains but I wouldn't know Ving Rains if I tripped over him so I had to look him up later and I'm like Pulp okay fiction, that explains why they lingered on him so much you know in that in that one scene but that that was one of the ones that that kind of annoyed me because I I knew who Stallone was by the outfit he had and plus it was spoiled on the soundtrack album um there was a track on there just simply called starhawk so i i figured well starhawk's got to be in here Uh. so i put that together with stallone and then of course martin x you can recognize because he's the diamond guy but that's it i was looking for the other classic guardians in it and apparently they're all in it somewhere but i didn't recognize any of them visually i i felt like i appreciated the fact that they put somebody called charlie 27 in there but he was not close enough to his comic book look that I that I could pick that out, and that tends to annoy me. I don't like it when the X Men movies do that either, where they put the character in there, but basically you you would have to go to like Wikipedia or IMDb to figure out who it was because they don't look anything like the comic book version of them. That I found that a little bit annoying. All right. Well, I thought that part was small enough that it didn't bother me that that I didn't I had, realize it. I had no idea what was going on. I did ve- recognize Bing Rames, but I recognize you know from, um, what was it, Dawn Pulp of the Fiction. Dead? Huh? 
Pulp Fiction, man. And Pulp Fiction. Yeah, true. <laughs> and uh, that was, to me, that was his. That's his. That's his shining moment. Big moment. Yeah. But I was like, oh, there's Ving Rhames. I had no idea who he was. I was, I was looking for Howard the Duck. I I knew Howard the Duck he was, was going to be in here. I knew it. He was I, there. I knew he was going to be in there. When I figured it was going to be one of the five ending scenes, but I'm like, we no, haven't. He was in the brothel. Yeah, yeah. But oh, you know, man. Duck. Someday that they're just going to trust James Gunn enough to go like, go, oh, go ahead, do it, do it, and I'll be the happiest boy alive. <laughs> and I'll bet you he'll put Man Thing in it too. I think he would. It'll be the first so, PG-13 movie with a Man Thing in it. <laughs> so the movie opened up with uh, them fighting Cthulhu, and uh, that was that was uh, at the behest of the uh, of the sovereign. The sovereign, yeah. What what did you think of that whole? aspect of the movie the sovereign and what was going on with them well i recognize one one of the sovereign was actor ben browder who was on farscape and uh later on stargate sg1 did you guys re- see him i didn't he, watch either of those shows so no oh he was one of the guys that came up to the uh the head uh, sovereign princess lady whatever um Wearing, wearing like the blue outfits. He wasn't like the really tall guy, but he was the, like the second guy you saw. And as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh, that's Ben Browder. Awesome. My kids are like, who? Yeah, never mind. My favorite part was the video video game spaceships. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. That was pretty cool, yeah. That, that's the first time they've had that in a movie, and that makes perfect sense. And then I found out that he was kind of paying tribute to Tron in it, in the one scene where the one guy was left and everybody was huddled around it. Was sort of based on the the opening in in with uh, Jeff Bridges in right. Tron, where he's playing the game and everybody's like watching him, you know, beat the game. And it had yeah, a I little like... bit of Last Starfighter in there, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking was Last Starfighter, yeah. But um, I, I I thought that was a I thought that was a great idea, and I. I I like the characters of the Sovereign because they're going to be the they're they're a perfect foil for the Guardians of the Galaxy because they're stuck up douchebags. <laughs> well, it was it was interesting how they ended up on you know on their bad side with rockets stealing the thing that they were supposed to be protecting. And yep, and and and, and insulting them in the process. <laughs> I hear you people are stuck up douchebags, but I don't really see it. <laughs> Yeah, and and it's yeah, a good... but it was, but it was Chekhov's batteries because yep. those batteries were used in the. Yep. Uh... It's a good thing they stole those batteries. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have something highly explosive in the movie. You better use it. Yeah, so well, let's not the way they portrayed Ego when he, you know, with um, some of the effects when he was like reforming his body and. Uh... I thought that was, that it was pretty neat. Yeah, I thought that was all pretty cool. I didn't really get the feeling that they would stay true to the comic like in the comic he is the living planet and he can manifest himself in a human body i would have thought he could have just squashed them all like a bug at some point but you know they were kind of using manis as she was putting him to sleep to or she was limiting him as to how he could act against them you know right but in in, in this like I don't, he. It wasn't so much that he was a living planet, 
as he was an entity and kind of created this planet around himself. Mm-hmm. But he could control... I saw it as he could control all matter on the planet, somewhat. He and the planet were one, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I, But I, I also thought there was a little... A little uh, convenience to some of that. He, you know, he, he knew what was going on when it served the purposes of the storyline. He didn't so much know what was going on when it didn't. Well, it, that, mm. that was, you know, that, that power manifested itself. Yeah, but it seemed like he had to rest, though, was, was the whole thing that he, um, like he wasn't all powerful all the time. And it was just, you know, good timing when he wasn't. I mean, Kurt Russell, I thought was awesome in the role. Yeah, I'm happy. Oh, I'm yeah. happy to see Kurt. And basically, up until, up until he starts getting serious, he's like Jack Burton in space, <laughs> which is perfect. I mean, for Star Lord's dad, you know, when when they first meet, you know, this is Jack Burton in the pork chop planet. He, he is. He's sort of like, hey, when, come on, have a seat. We're going to my when, planet. Take a look. When you're out cruising the cosmos in a dark and stormy night. And and yeah, and, and Peter Quill's dad probably would be kinda like Jack Burton, you know? Now if they had told you ten years ago that they were gonna make a Marvel movie with the villain being ego, would you have even believed it was possible? I'm like, Oh yeah, that's gonna look good. <laughs> yeah, people are gonna line up for that. <laughs> you know, kudos to him that they did the one thing that, that I had said when we did our Back to the Bin score episode in anticipation of the movie, you know, I said the one thing that I wanted more than anything else was a planet with the face, a face on it. Yeah, and they yeah, did it. That one shot, and they did it like... just perfectly. You know, it it wasn't too much. You know, it wasn't enough to be grown worthy or anything like that. It was just enough. It was it was the shot. You know, it was, it was just enough that you your brain processed it and went. Oh hey, that's and then it was gone. Yeah, and yeah. then it was gone. Yeah, that's all. That's all they needed to do. And I was a very, very, very happy fanboy at that moment. That was really cool. I Which brings that. us back to the argument we've made—not argument, but the comment we've made on several occasions—that they didn't have to shy away from it. They could have done Galactus. That well, was I, my I, you know, next thing I was gonna say: is when do we get Galactus? Please, can we have real giant Galactus? I, I think this was showing we've learned, you know, we have learned our lesson that, you know, we're not we're not ever going to do that again. Well, this is I mean, it's different studios, so they don't they, I, instead of saying we've learned a lesson. I think they're saying we're teaching you a lesson. <laughs> we've learned. Well, our I mean, lesson I mean from in them. a sense. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean is, you know, it's it's all Marvel. It's all comic book movies. But that's what I mean is ultimately, you know, we we learned, you know, through the process of making comic book movies is really what I meant. They, they learned a lesson from that movie, which was, you know, the, the fan response was, ah, you know, you, you came so close. And in this time they decided, Hey, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to do a character called ego, you damn well better show him as, as a planet. We you had know? ego the, and watch and everything. That was my biggest geek out in this movie was getting the Watchers. That was pretty cool. That, that was one of the was, biggest murmurs yeah, through was, our theater when when that happened. Is people went ooh and they yeah, looked that, like they should. Be uh, a uh, go ahead, Scott. I remember James Gunn saying um, when the first movie hit real big and everything. He was saying that if he worked on the sequel 
that there was one race that he wanted to do more than any other, and he was hoping that he would be allowed to, to work him in there. But he wasn't sure with the rights issue and everything, and I can't help but wonder now if the Watchers was what he was talking about, because there was a lot of different speculation well, on like what race he was talking about. Because what, and, well, well, weren't the Watchers? Well, they they weren't introduced in the Fantastic Four, were they? Weren't yes, they? Yes, they were. Yeah, I thought I they were so, in some yeah. some anthology. The, the Watcher. Fire. The Watcher the had his own backup in um, Silver Surfer. Strange, huh? In Silver Surfer. Well, it, way, way before that, though, he was. Didn't he have a backup? It was like Johnny Storm and and the Wat, like Tales of the Watcher in Strange Tales, right? Not before that I remember. I'm pretty sure. It, it, was, it may be. I'm not was, telling you you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't remember. I'm, I'm, right. I'm thinking first, this was the just watcher, prior to when the first watch appears in Fantastic Four 13. So yeah. So how did they get? Did they get permission? Or is Fox playing nice now? Well, see, right. that's the thing though is that they must not. You know, uh, Fox must not have everything that spun out of Fantastic Four because so did Black Panther and we've seen Black Panther in the MCU so did Ronan and we've what seen about, Ronan in the MCU so they, they don't have about, everything and the Inhumans did too, didn't the they? The Inhumans, yeah they've been using them on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they're about to get their own, I don't know what TV show or miniseries yeah, or movie or something a, There's probably a contract somewhere with a list of all the characters and character names Right, Fantastic Four that they can use, you know. Yeah. Well, what, what I heard, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, and I can't even tell you where I heard it from, but I had heard that they had to negotiate to get the rights to the Watcher, and that they had to negotiate to get the rights to Ego, which Ego was introduced in Thor. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly why that would be, but possibly because Byrne used Ego in his run in Fantastic Four when they sold the rights to Fantastic Four. Maybe they had included ego in that. Well they they might have they might have like sat down and been like, okay, what are some potential storylines? And then maybe been like, oh maybe one with ego of the living planet and added him to the list and you know I mean I almost I almost wonder if it's more a thing of how they divided up the Marvel universe to where maybe Fantastic Four was considered cosmic. So anything that fell under the cosmic umbrella you know, was was arguably within the realm of Fantastic. That's kind of how I had always figured it. And that's why I was so happy when we got Ronan and, well, you know, the Guardians in general, but Ronan specifically in the first Guardians movie is that that to me said, okay, evidently they can play with elements of the cosmic, you know, side of Marvel, including, you know, what are arguably Fantastic Four characters. And we, we saw more of that with this movie. But the, to me, the the Watcher was a huge one because I, I totally did not expect that to be in there because that is a character I definitely associate with the Fantastic Four. So I thought that was really cool. So at that point, when we got the Watcher, then I was spending the rest of the movie. You know, whenever we were, especially when we were getting like the, uh, the the five tag scenes at the end, I was really looking for like Silver Surfer. You know, I'm thinking, okay, are we going to see the Surfer streak by or or one of the other uh, Heralds of Galactus or something like that because it, it that made it feel at that point like wow nothing's truly off the table if they're giving us the Watchers so I thought that was pretty cool 
that that to me was the celestial moment that I had with the with the first Guardians, you know, for this movie. That was like that celestial moment. That was probably my single biggest geek out in, in this movie was was the Watcher. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, will it work? I, go ahead, Paul. I was going to say the 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 talk is now that uh, Stan Lee is actually a Watcher, and that somehow that that's what he's been doing in all these cameos. He's been you know, it, taking the form of an Earthman to uh, to observe ah. what's going on. See, that's what me and my buddy were ta- talking about because, and he he brought up. He's like, well, then he says, hey, I need a ride back to Earth. You know, where are you guys going? I got more stories to tell. And he also, uh, we were going back back and forth about it, and we're both wondering, is this going to be Stan's final appearances? Because he is. Start. He's really getting up there in age, and and I like, thought is they this said a way that this eat? was the last one, or that uh, somewhere oh, I read because... that he was filming his last, like he was like they were filming a bunch of his well, be- cameos because of cause... what he says as they're going away. He's like, wait, I've got more stories to tell. Where are you going? It's kind of like this, you know. This is this is his could be his goodbye. That would be that. I mean, and that would be a very appropriate one to you know, but yeah. I'm kind it's of depressing to think in, about because he's so old, you know. Yeah, yeah I'm no. just hoping so I'm, I'm him now in the role that they put uh, Nick Fury into in Original Sin, where he basically took over as the Watcher on the Moon, and yeah. he's you know incredibly old at this point because he doesn't have the Infinity formula anymore. Right. So I, I think that's the Watcher role that he was basically Ooh. playing. Did you notice the space? Did you notice the spacesuit they had him in? It looked like one of those old 1950s spacesuits. Yeah, I thought yeah, that was a nice touch. It was very like, uh, the big bubble, and it's got yeah. the it's got like the like the it just looked kind of but like a giant bee or just I don't know. It was it was pretty cool, and that uh, oh of of course the way we get to that scene is because Yondu and, and Rocket. And Groot are warping through to get to Ego's planet, but you're not supposed to do so many jumps at once, and they're doing all the distorted stuff with their faces. You know, it was goofy, but it was funny. Well, it, turned into, it turned into Arnold at the end of the <laughs> There were There were a lot of parts of this movie that reminded me of the feel of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Just that, that anything could happen... Not seven hundred jumps at once. Yeah, that that was what that it was. That was very hitchhikers. That that, and for some reason the scene when Kurt Russell first came down in his you know beautiful egg white. Yeah. Mhm. It, it seemed very like almost like Zaphod Beeblebroxy sort of. That like, was a cool design. I, I liked when they got to the planet how everything flowed when when they stepped out out of the ship on a platform and the platform came up to the mountainside and it grew out and meshed into the mountainside and they just stepped right off the front of the, uh, the little thing that they had been riding. It was, it was really, really cool. Yeah. It was basically, there was a lot of stuff that like you finally get to see visualized Mm -hmm. from the comics where, and I mean, I think it's partially because we've reached a time where it's affordable to actually bring that uh some sort of kirby diorama drawing to life and you know make it work and so you guys do do you guys think when um peter quill 
um, when Ego kind of opens his consciousness, which he does the tap on the head, like you know, like like they did the Doctor Strange, and then his eyes kind of glazed over, and he says, e- "Eternity." Was he seeing eternity in quotations? I was waiting for that. Yeah, because yeah, I, I was just, thinking because his eyes got the whole star filled and everything, and as you know, like. You know, like like he was actually glimpsing and seeing the Marvel character of Eternity, or become or becoming one with it, or you know, whatever. Right, right, becoming aware of it. Mm-hmm. I think they did that purposely because <laughs> a lot of people have uh, speculated that. That's what that's, that's the thing is. Um, you know, James Gunn's James Gunn's probably a little younger than us, a, a little bit maybe. But you know, now that people our age have gotten to that position where they're filmmakers, it, it's kind of cool for us. <laughs> it's kind of cool for everybody too, because it does so, seem to appeal to, you know, across the board. You know, everybody that I work with, that you know that. Of varying levels, you know, mostly not on the nerd scale, but you know, some of them like Batman or whatever. But everybody uh, works like I'm going to see Guardians of the Galaxy too. That the, the first movie was hilarious. Oh, I watch it all the time. So, you know, it's it's just gratifying that all the griping about like I wish people would do something right, and then when they do do it right it actually works. <laughs> it isn't just appealing to us, you know, to like, you know, 1%, you know, 1% of the population or whatever super nerds, you know, constitute of the population, but no, the super nerds are right. This stuff is pretty cool. <laughs> oh, James Gunn is uh 46. Okay, so he's right at right in the same Yeah, right in the same wheelhouse, I guess. Pipe down, Methuselah. But no, you're you're right. I know where you're going with that, Chris, and and that is a good feeling because, you know, my my missus actually wanted to go see this, and we went together. It was just the two of us. We went, you know, for a date night. We went. We watched it. She really, really enjoyed it, and she didn't come right out and say it. But by the the things that we talked about in the in the car ride home, I could tell that maybe for the first time that she was starting to see what I've seen in this stuff all these years. And that was a really good feeling, you know, to where you, you finally get somebody to come around where they realize that, Oh, I guess it's not all like that stupid Batman TV show in the, in the sixties with the pow and wham and bap and all that, that there's actually something of substance and merit here because she, uh, a good honest cry does a lot, man. And this movie gets, this movie works to a good, honest, like tears streaming down both sides of my face, you know, by the end. Yeah. When, when he reveals that he put, that he put the brain tumor in, in, in Peter's mother, you know, he's like, Oh, it broke my heart to give her that brain tumor. And then you're like, (laughs) and even He's like, I actually what? saw that coming a mile away. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I kind of figured, but but still, when it's revealed to 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 Star Lord and and you could, you know, it was his, I, I his it was reaction well. mirrored yeah. the audience's reaction perfectly. You know, it was just like what? <laughs> there was no. Russell, you can't be a bad guy. 
Yeah. I'm going to take a slightly different tact on that scene. I thought it made Ego come across as incredibly naive. Yes. That in basically oh, yeah, the, that, the that, span that. of like an afternoon, he, he thought that Peter had come around that quickly that he could reveal that to him and, and not have Peter rebel against him the way that he he immediately did. I, I thought that that, I, that I made him like, look a little dumb. Well, you know? I have to almost wait like a thousand that. years, you know, to where Peter Quill had gotten beyond the, you know, the lifespan, you know, where he'd seen many people live, you know, all his friends have lived and died around him, you know, a hundred times and stuff. Yeah. And then you kind of... could say it, then he probably still would have, like, wanted to kill him, you know, I, yeah. I I I I thought that that was like yeah ego really way underestimated you know what he was doing either that or he was I, trying I to shock him in some way I think it's less naivete and more overconfidence that yeah that just, the that lure just, of immortality would that be he would enough be so drunk to, on exactly. the power yeah I mean if he was Gary Mitchell that's what Gary Mitchell did. Gary I, I think, I think his, his thought process was once Peter has a taste of this, he's going to just understand yeah. that you know this is the way to do it. He started getting a little like, eh, what, when he's just like, oh, yeah, all the other women, you know, <laughs> you, all across the universe. And, and then it's like, oh, okay. But then he was like, but your mother was the one I fell in love with. And then he was like, oh, okay, okay, I can understand that. Because yeah, he was I a can, player. And while that's going on, Nebula and Gamora find all the skulls of all the other yeah. failed children that were brought that didn't have the gene, and, and that's and also you find out later that Yondo had been the one bringing the children but didn't know what was happening, and he finally that's why he never brought Peter there. So, plus because he could fit in small places. See, that much was like, a, that, that like was Groot. a beautiful that the the way that that line was written twice in the movie. There's mm -hmm. some brilliant script, brilliant pop script writing, because the first time, you know, it's it's just it's Peter. You could tell Peter Quill had remembered that at some point he's like, you know, had asked Yon. It was an important point for both of them. He'd said, you know, why did you take me from Earth? And he's like, ah, oh, we needed someone small, and that's what stuck in Peter Quill's head. And mm -hmm. and neither of them really believed it either. You know, it, that was basically that was basically the princess me. bride as you wish. You know, that yeah. that was their way. That was his way of saying like, look, I like you, kid. You know, but I can't admit it. So you're good to, and and that they both memorized that. You know, they they didn't have to show a flashback of that scene. You can almost picture it in your head just from both of them knowing that in saying mm -hmm. that same line of dialogue. It's just, it's really good screenwriting. Now, I mean, we're gushing over a lot of this, and I think deservedly so. Does anybody have any significant negatives about the movie? David um, Hasselhoff. No, I'm just kidding. I love to see David Hasselhoff. It's, it's, yeah, at that point, it was just like, yeah, hey, they, they actually did that. <laughs> They, they could have gone the extra step and had Kurt Russell turn and just play David be David Hasselhoff for the rest of the movie and be like, hey, do you like this one better? <laughs> or be or be like, yeah, I was David Hasselhoff also. 
<laughs> or somebody Jeez. also suggested that, like, he could have been like, yeah, I just came in the form of Kurt Russell. I saw him in this Disney movie, and it's kind of a full circle for <laughs> Kurt Russell with Disney, too. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it. I can't... I mean, I think... I, I can only think of potential pratfalls in it, which was... There was potentially too much in it. There was, uh, you know, all the characters had their sort of family thing, you know, and the the two sisters fighting was almost a kind of a redundant family story arc. But it all worked. It all, it all, it didn't end up being like, oh, geez, they had to work this in too. It all just flowed so smoothly. It's well, there was a there was a science thing that. Again, me and my friend were talking, and he's like, really? You're going to get that nitpicky. You have a movie with a talking tree in it. I'm like, all right, I'll let it go. But the point was when Nebula crashes the ship, and Gamora picks up the gun from the ship and starts shooting at Nebula. I was like, how strong is she supposed to be that she could stand there and hold this cannon? She's cybernetically enhanced, so... I... uh, Gamora? Gamora's yeah. not cybernetically. Yeah. I mean, oh, yes, she is. Gamora's the most dangerous is. woman in the universe. Yeah, but I don't think she, I don't think she's cybernetically enhanced in you, this. You rewatch the first movie; they specifically say that in the scene where they're scanning them all and they're oh, giving okay. their little origin story. Wreck It Ralph says that she was um, maybe okay. maybe he doesn't say cybernetically, but basically she's been tampered with the same way oh, that okay. uh, that Nebula has, just not to that horrific Stream. degree but yeah she's she's been fiddled with in the in the sense of making her you know because she's meant to be you know the perfect ex- assassin for for thanos oh did you guys catch this uh i i know we're ta- talking about the bad things or if they if we can come up with some but the um the scene where the minivan gets pushed by that glob of ego crap that's on the earth and the guy that's in it was um peter's grandfather who was in the first was he? Yeah, you just see him for a second. Like, he's in the van that gets shoved up from behind, and he's driving it. That's that's his grandfather. His grandfather's still alive. I didn't catch that. And I was then, wondering if the woman that played his mom was the same actress from the first movie. I, I really couldn't tell. I didn't think that she was, well, was but I didn't look it up. The first movie, she had no hair. And right. she was dying of cancer. So, right. I, I, what was it? The was it the same actress? Well, see that. Uh, and again, I don't know this for a fact, but I have heard that that actress is the same one that gets the hots for Steve and then kisses him um, in um, Captain America: First Avenger. You know, when when Peggy Carter comes around the corner and catches her kissing oh, okay. him. It, okay. that that is the same actress that plays Peter's mom. I've heard that. So that was the image I kind of had in my mind of her if we were going to get a flashback, which, we, of course, we did. And I didn't think she looked like the same actress in that. But, you know, again, you know, you're talking about, a you know, a 40s hairstyle and, and all that and, and outfit as opposed to, you know, whatever that was, well, I guess, in the 80s that was supposed to be. So... You know, I don't. I don't know for sure, but I was just curious if uh, if there was. I don't know. I I'm I'm hesitant to to bring up you know anything contrary, just because this again you know it's one of those movies that's you know getting such universal praise and everything. But uh, I I did have some some issues with the movie, and it's weird because they're they're in a 
weird kind of undefined quality in a lot of ways. Um, I think the movie tried a little too hard. I think it strains itself a little bit that it was, it was, you know, it knew, you know, they obviously knew what they had with the first movie. So I think that they were, you know, trying a little bit too hard to, you know, to, to make it, you know, the same, you know, be at the same level and everything. And I I don't think they needed to try as hard as they did. You know what I mean? So Mm. it, it has a vague, sequelitis feel to it to me because of that striving to um well it, you know they, it, they were striving to, they to, played to the be same as, beats for sure because it yeah, starts out it, in yeah. the 80s and then into space and, and into a space dance sequence you know yeah and uh there, there was that there was um i don't think the story's near as tight i i really I, this is a movie I really am eager to see again, and like to give it a good couple of, of rewatches, and then see how I feel about it, you know, with with several more watches under my belt. Because, you know, I want to make it very clear: I, I enjoyed the movie. I walked out feeling really good. I had a good laugh. I had a good cry. I, you know, there was some really great special effects. There was, you know, there was a lot of stuff I was really looking for. But I also have to be perfectly honest that there was also a, a measure of disappointment in the movie. It wasn't as good as the first movie, in my opinion. The, the first movie was Star Wars to me. It, I had the same feeling walking out of Guardians as I had walking out of Star Wars in 77, that I have just seen a friggin' game changer of a movie that really connected with me on a, on a, on a very personal level. I don't get that from this one. This, to me, the best way I can sum up my feeling walking out of Guardians 2 is what if there never had been an Empire Strikes Back? What if we went straight from Star Wars to Return of the Jedi? Now, Return of the Jedi is a damn good movie, and I really like Return of the Jedi, but it's no Star Wars. I think everybody with, with all the you know, with all the years that those movies have on them now, that people can look at Jedi and go, yeah, I have a lot of fun. I really enjoy that movie. But it's not quite as good as the first one. It's got more you know, scenes showing not than as... the other two movies. Exactly. For sure. And that's that's how I feel about this one. I enjoy it. It's a hell of a fun ride. I am not in any way dissatisfied or slagging the movie. But it's got some seams showing. It's got some things that I think are, are you know, once the, the new car smell is off this movie, I think a lot of people are going to look at it and then start to figure out that, yeah, it's got some problems. It's not quite as good as the first one. And, and that was my overall feeling. So I don't know. But, of course, I wanted it to do some things it didn't do. One of the big problems for me that this movie has, and it's not really a fault of the movie. I, I fully acknowledge this is my expectation. But I'm disappointed that it didn't play into the ongoing narrative and, and direction of the MC, or at least it doesn't feel like it does now there might be something going on that we're going to see in you know a couple more maybe even in thor ragnarok where we go oh wait a minute now i Mm -hmm. see how Mm -hmm. this ties in but at the moment it doesn't feel like it forwarded the story whereas guardians you could make self-contained see you could make that argument for guardians except the fact that it greatly informed us you know especially those you know that that weren't already familiar with the marvel universe about the infinity stones what exactly are they what's the origin where do they come from so while it wasn't attached to 
Cap and Thor and the Avengers and all of that, it still was continuing the direction of the narrative. This didn't do any of that. It had no connection with the Stones. It had no connection with Thanos. It had no connection with the direction of the Marvel Universe. So in that sense, it didn't forward that particular narrative. And that bugs me because until we're done with the Thanos arc, I'm not quite ready to go off and play that far afield yet. You know what I mean? So I, I will embrace that kind of a movie once the big story is done. Then you can go anywhere you want to. But at the moment, I wish they'd kind of kept it, like make this movie count towards the overall narrative. What's Thanos doing? Why the hell is it taking him all this time to get to Earth and all that? We didn't get any of that. We, we got a story that is off doing its own thing. And I don't know, for some reason, that this, this go-around, that really annoyed me. You know, uh, well, I say annoyed, that's a too strong word. But it, it, it's just, it's, it, it brings the movie down a level to me. Well, um, I thought some of the acting... And it's weird because I know I'm the only I, I'm the only voice I've heard saying this, but I thought some of the acting wasn't all that great. I thought Kurt Russell and a lot of it was hammy, you know. And, well. <laughs> well, maybe he was. Maybe I just no, didn't I mean, get the he, joke. He's kind of he, hammy. He he is, but he's also I mean he he's also a really good actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there were parts of it where I thought he was a little. You know, just a little hammy, but you know, again, maybe I just didn't get the gag. Maybe oh, he was I could, supposed no, I to be. I could see James Gunn being like, "Could you ham that up a little?" You know, I could total. I, I mean, I could totally see him go like, "Oh yeah, just sing Jack Burton in the scene," you know, because yeah, James it, Gunn loves that. Because that. that was the feeling that I got from him—that he was doing more of a Jack Burton as opposed to a um, Snake Plissken or, oh, or oh, for you know, sure. Reeling it, in, reeling it in a little bit more. I, I was going to say, well, he's doing it 80s style, but Snake Plissken would have been doing it 80s style, too. Right, yeah. but Plissken wasn't, to me, he was never over the top. If anything, he was very low-key. At least that was always my interpretation of him. He was not Jack Burton, who was completely over the top. Right. You know, this, this was somewhere in the middle. I think they wanted to make him more like um, Peter Quill. Just so they could bond, so they could bond. You know, you could have that. You know, they they they're instant. He he's got a more looser that sort of looser. You know, and he's probably channeling. You know, the the the, the late seventies when he was riding around with his mom when he sees Peter. You know, so he right brings back a little of that personality. The the laid back sort of like seventies hippie dude. You know, with right. the leather jacket, and. Yeah, and and also I think it plays. It probably they th probably thought it plays better to, you know, a general a general audience. Right. Like my. But I mean that that said, I mean those those really are you know, I, I I had more nitpicks with this one, whereas I I really with the first movie there's really only ever one I ever had, and that was I didn't particularly care for the portrayal of, um of Ronan and I still don't with the first movie but that's only because I am more familiar with Ronan as a hero character than as a villain character but of course he did start out as a villain character so there's that whereas this one I, I did have more qualms and quibbles and that sort of thing but um, 
I, there's far more that I liked with the movie than than things that bothered me. So I just wanted to be clear with that. I mean, I had I had some serious geek outs with this. You know, there were there were a lot of really fun moments. Um, I, I thought that the the ship crash sequence, you know, the crash and then the skid in. I mean, that's the best ship crash we've seen since the Enterprise D crashed in in yeah. Generations. That was an amazing special effects sequence that I really, really liked. Um, you know, I thought the the battles and the different things were were just a lot of fun. You know, especially the the space battles, you know, with ships and things like that. Um, you know, the the vistas and the just the beauty of Ego's planet. You know, especially when they're first flying in and they're playing. Uh, you know, George Harrison. I mean, I, I just, I loved that whole sequence. That was, you know, that was really cool. And, uh, you don't get to hear you know, a real, like, George Harrison Beatles era song in a movie either. That's, I mean, we get both, Je you know, Jeff Lynn with ELO and George Harrison in the same movie. I mean, money. That's yeah, some that was serious licensing money. That Although, was really cool. I guess Jeff Lynn was a little butt hurt because. There was ELO planned in the first movie, and it didn't make it didn't make the cut, and he was a little, little upset. So that James Gunn promised him that it huh. would figure prominently in the next movie. Oh, I didn't know that. I wonder. I wonder what the song was and where it was. I don't know. Huh. I wonder if it was possibly Mr. I, I mean, Mr. Blue Sky also like hits some geek buttons with the Doctor Who fans. Because that there's a Doctor Who episode. I can't remember which Doctor it was. It's actually one that doesn't even have the Doctor in it. it he's not it's, even in it. Yeah, it, it was one of those ones that they like like once a one once a season or at least when they started they would have they it was I guess to save money or something or they would have one that just would focus on ancillary characters. And, and that, that was but that those, was a really popular episode and everybody was like yeah CLO and it was Mr. Blue Sky it figured like really prominently in the episode and they uh, the one actress was one of the one of his companions hmm. so there was a little double Doctor Who dose for right him. I think like not even a complaint but I think if I was in the planning stages of this movie and I was like, got to whisper in James Gunn ear, Gunn's ear. I would have, I would have, um, I would have said, break the mold on it, you know, like you did with the, like, instead of playing the beats of the first movie, you know, a little repetition on the beats of the first movie, make a completely different kind of movie, you know, with, with those characters in it, you know, cut, you know, have the same energy to it and the same sort of humor and freewheelingness of it. But give it a different, little different structure or something, you know, to, well, to change I, I it think, up. I mean, I think he did that. He did where, do that, where... but it was still breaking up. It, it still had a lot of, like, 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 um, you know, it had a lot of, and and that repetition is actually good when it's done well, which it, I I thought yeah. it was done really well. I, I thought you know the 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 basic structure of the story and the and you know the foe they were fighting and and that you know I thought that was different so I didn't think that yeah, they just that. replayed the first movie. No, so no, don't they get me didn't. Wrong. What I meant what I meant by sequelitis was you know having to revisit beats from the the first you know whenever you have a big hit and then they do a sequel the thing that I always hate the most 
is when they feel a need to go, hey, remember this moment? Or more importantly, when they go, hey, remember this character? And that character isn't really essential to the story. I, I give you a great example. Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. I love Finding Nemo. Finding Dory was a good movie, but it annoyed me in so many ways. And, and probably the biggest way it annoyed the hell out of me is when, for absolutely no reason whatsoever, it does not do anything to advance the narrative of the movie, they bring in Crush and his son. And it's basically, it feels like what it is. It's like, hey, remember this great character that you love from the first movie? Here he is again, just for a quick cameo, just to say that we got we squeezed him in there to remind you that he was there. And, okay, let's go on with it. And I hate when they do that. Yeah. And no. this had a I mean, bit of that, because Nebula, was she really... Did she do anything in this movie? Yes. I mean, yes, she did, Scott. She, you know, that she was there to go with that family narrative with her and Gamora. And you got to keep in mind here, you know, James Gunn may have earned himself some some points with Marvel that they're letting him make a movie with a certain amount of freedom. But they're pretty on top of these movies when they make them. That's why they had problems with Ant Man, because they, they're not just going to let guys say, you know, they're not going to say, here, you just run and make the movie you want to make and, and let us know when yeah. you're done. They want to look over the shoulder every step of the way. Right. And I guarantee right. you, he doesn't have enough money in the bank with them that he could just do whatever he wants. I'm sure that they're saying, hey, we want this in here and we want this in here. Do it however you want to do it, but make sure these things are in it. Yeah, and I, right. I, I think he got more leeway with this. I mean, he definitely, he's the, he's the writer of this one, you know. It's not like he didn't, he, I think they had like four writers on the last one and then he came in and sort of redid, re put his touch on the script, but this one was, was all him. And I'm sure they. I, I'm sure you, he though, got a bigger paycheck, and I'm sure they gave him a little more leeway. But you still, you're, yeah, it's. I'm sure you're, you're, and and when you go into it, you gotta sort of know that you're going into it. You're, you've, you're, you're making your own movie, but you're making a movie that's in the structure of a lot of other movies, too, and it has to fit, and right. it has to, and it has to work with them. So you know, yeah. I, but I, I mean, I, as much I, I as... think you have to keep in mind too that what you said earlier could have some impact here. There could be a little bit of, okay, this isn't continuing a narrative you already saw, but this is taking a thread that you're gonna see later. Don't right. don't and discount I, that as a possibility so. in in the Infinity War. No, no, I'm not, and I'm I'm hoping that that is where this goes. That it that it does end up playing into you know the the bigger the bigger story that's going on. Or you know, supposed to be going on, but I, I tell you, you know, as, as much as I, I, you know, I mentioned the sequelitis, and I'll be honest, that the the whole um, thing with Gamora and, and Nebula just really didn't work for me because I, I felt like okay, that was just one storyline too many in an already kind of bloated story at this point, you know, with this particular picture. I tell you, the one that I was most nervous about though was actually. Uh, Yandu, because I kind of felt like his story was done from the first movie too. Like there wasn't really a need for him to be in this, and he ended up being the the thing that kind of pulled the picture together there at the end. And I mean, it was definitely that for me was the big tearjerker moment. Now I've heard some people say that you know this had this movie had several you know where they where they balled, but that was the one that got me at the end was 
you know, where they go with Yondu. So, you know, kudos to them because, you know, probably, you know, between my wife and I, probably our biggest mutual, you know, laugh out loud, like, hey, that was really cool scene was the whole, hey, dude, you look like Mary Poppins. And, uh, and what is, what is he, I think he says, is he cool or something like that? Not realizing who Mary Poppins is. And then Star Lord's just like, yeah, yeah, you know what? He is cool. Cause I thought that was really neat because it, you know, it was, it was him kind of realizing that, you know, if Mary Poppins was here right now, Mary Poppins would be a pretty good member of the team. You know, she's, she's got some, she's got some powers, you know? So I thought that was cool. That was a really, that was a nice moment. I really well, enjoyed I, that. I, and I also thought it was like his, like, you know what? Why be a dick? You know? Right. Right. That too. Yeah. You know, but that was a great moment that I really liked that. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I walked out feeling really good. I, I really enjoyed the picture and everything. I mean, any any qualms I have still pretty much are, are relegated to the to the realm of, of nitpickery. Well, well my, that's, my that's, qualm... That's the thing is, like, uh, me being not as comic savvy either, I get a lot of, I don't know what the hell's going on right here, you know? But, right. the, but the way that they do it in these movies, it's got, it's, you know, it's throwing a million things up on the wall... And some some of them stick, and then I'm like, ah, I didn't know who that guy is. I didn't know who that guy is. Howard the Duck, and then I'm happy, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, I think they pull, pulled that off. I definitely think that the Gamora and her and and her sister thing was almost the one story arc too many. If you were gonna cut one out, but I still liked Just to, it. I feel like it, it worked. The, the scene where, that they had together where she just, you know, where she was like, look, every time you beat me, you know, you know, dad would take my eye out or, you know, do do something else. So, you know, and they both got a little picture of the, the hell they lived. That was that, that was a nicely done scene. But yeah, if, if it was cut out of the story, if they cut Gamora, Gamora's sister completely out of the story, it wouldn't change anything really you know with the whole movie and the whole general feel of it so it might have been i don't know it's it's gonna be i mean i'm I'm, i might be saving up uh scott mcgregor and i've been talking about this a lot you know when we uh went to see it we saw it in 2d and i think he was sort of leaning towards the 3d and i'm like ah you know i always after about i don't care i'll go 3d but after about 10 minutes a lot of times 3D doesn't even register to me or doesn't seemingly, you know, it doesn't become a big deal. So, but we have been talking about doing the I'm like actually like forking over some dough and seeing it on the IMAX 3D. And uh, that, I mean, that'll, that'll be, it'll be weird because I don't know if I w- would want to see that as my second viewing because the spectacle of it would just sweep me up and maybe not pay attention to the structural elements of it. But uh, I'm really excited about seeing a second viewing of it. And, and actually, I'm actually more excited now after hearing Scott's, you know, criticisms of it because now I'll be now I'll be looking. <laughs> See, from from a negative point of view, for me, uh, when we when we left the movie, we were talking about it, and we ultimately came to kind of the thought that it went on a little too long. It could have been tightened up a little bit. 
and we started talking about, well, what would you cut out? Now, clearly, Scott would cut out the Gamora uh, stuff in there, which, that's fine. But I thought that did have a certain resonance, and I thought it played along with the other stuff that was going on. And there was no particular plot line that I would eliminate. So then I started thinking, okay, if you want to shorten this thing and not eliminate any plot lines... Then you need to just tighten up the script a little bit, tighten up the directing, move it along a little bit at, at a slightly brisker pace. So ultimately, my, my criticism comes into the fact that I thought the movie could have just been paced a little bit better. Oh, not a criticism, but an observation that I just I forgot that I wanted to mention. There's a lot of murder in this movie. Oh my god, people <laughs> die like crazy in this movie, and it just goes that goes by without a. Even and, and it even goes to I mean when that big blob is forming and then you know oh, yeah, it's it, sucking people up it's sucking people up and then it stops and then it just turns into like a black cancerous blob you know everybody in there is dead so that was probably like hundreds if not thousands of people got gobbled up in that and Yandu himself just takes out just dozens Ooh, yeah. and dozens on screen who knows how many others that scene was pretty sweet. That scene was just beautiful. And, I mean, before that, when, when they take over a ship and put out all the Yandu loyalists, that's a lot. It, there's just a general, you know, casual disregard for human life in this, or, you know, or just general life as far as most of them may not be humans. But uh, I like that. <laughs> I, I, I like that it, it, it doesn't... It, it, I like that it portrays the the galaxy of of um, Guardians of the Galaxy as being, you know, in the world they're in they're in that world where life is kind of cheap, you know, where right. it was it wasn't a big traumatic thing that they just were, you know, in this whole like revolt with Yandu where, you know, basically everybody but that one guy <laughs> got taken out by either the the insurgents or by Yandu himself. That is great. And nobody's been griping about it. The movie's so good that it's not like people are like, I don't know, this movie's just encourages murder. With whistling <laughs> arrows. <laughs> yes. What if a kid got his hand on a whistling arrow? What if oh I can God, whistle what my if I got a hel- my hands on a whistling arrow? What, what if I could whistle a lawn dart around the room? <laughs> Let me throw one to you guys. Who do you each think would be the standout character in this movie? <clears throat> I'm Yandu in it. Yandu, Yandu. By by the end of it, it was yeah. just like I did not want. I I did not want to see. I you know. I mean, I was crying for Yandu because it was a beautiful scene and it was a great arc. But I, I didn't want him to go away. I wanted, I want him in the third movie, you know, because Rooker is fantastic. Rooker is so underestimated as an actor, and yeah, his character, his character was just very. Once his character got his, you know, you, you started realizing that he had some redemption to him. I was you know i was ready to have him on the crew and just be like signed on from there on that's my pick 
Anybody have anybody else that you thought outshone Yandu? I don't know about outshone Yandu, but I, I was glad to see Drax step a little bit more into yes. the, the forefront with this one because I was afraid that he too. Um, you know, like his story arc was kind of over from the first one. You know, he'd, he'd kind of come to to grips with the murder of his wife and child. Uh, Ronan was dead. You know, although he, you know, he does say, you know, that he needs to help kill Thanos and all that at the end of the first one. I still kind of felt like, okay, his story's kind of resolved. You know, he'd, he'd found a piece of sorts. And I like in this one that, yes, he has, but it's just made him a more interesting character now. They, and so we got some real good beats with him. There, so there's I, actual I like depth him. to his character in this one. Right. Like you're starting to pick up, you know, without it getting without it getting too sappy, but like, you know, I mean, his blunt delivery is always, you know, it's just a hilarious point to his character and sort of could, could have been like the only defining moment of part of his character and he could have been just been a character that basically has wisecracks which is basically what he does most of the time but when you start getting in the cracks of it you know and you start seeing like the depths of the of pain in him and you also see that he's not a dumb character he just thinks differently very differently than other other people and it 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 just makes his care. It makes every time you see his character kind of fascinating. It, it's not just like oh, I hope he says something funny. You're you're looking for those little nuances that he puts in. And man, wrestlers make great actors in general. You know, a <laughs> well, lot of that's, times that's what they're doing. When yeah, they're yeah, 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 yeah. Shh. It's real. <laughs> I, uh... I would be remiss if I didn't say Scott. What did you think of Mantis? I was going to say that if you didn't. That was my next thing. What of that one, Scott? Your favorite character? Um, I, I thought she was all right because yeah. she's she's really not the Mantis of the comics at all. No. So you know, I I, I thought she was okay. I, you know, I mean, if she's in subsequent movies, okay. If she's not, I'm perfectly okay with that too. I mean, I, I didn't love her. I didn't hate her. I, I thought you know she was interesting. I, I like that they kind of go out of their way a little bit to make you kind of feel, you know, some sympathy for, you know, the whole thing with Drax telling her that she's hideous and all that <laughs> oh, was, God, you're hideous. You know, it, was, it was so mean, you know, it was funny, but it was mean at the same rate. So it, it kind of generated some sympathy for the character. So, yeah, she she was all right. She was very sweet. So she was not at all the, the, the character from the comics. And I, I liked that. I thought that was good because I really don't like the comic book version of her. What was the comic? I, book? I would I also could see say the co- comic book version being kind of like the like Counselor Troy sort of. No, not at all. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. no. Listen to Avengers Spotlight to get a little bit more on that. I don't think think those have even come out yet. The first one did. Did oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, the second one will be out in a few weeks. I know we don't we nice don't plug. see a whole lot of him, so I wouldn't call him a breakout character or anything, but. One that definitely intrigues me, and I'd like to see more of, is um, Stallone Starhawk. I, I'd I'd kind of like to see what they could possibly develop that into. It could be I, a I lot think, of fun. Yeah, it could yeah, be. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a some sort of spinoff with them a little bit. I don't know about a full you know feature of just them, but right. I wouldn't mind seeing them utilized. A series of like short films. 
Remember when they did that with the like Iron Man after like the one with um Yeah, when they did the Eddie DVD Kingsley. release. Mhm. And they, they had did. like item 42 or something was a like a Chitari weapon that got stolen and yeah, there was little snippets. Yeah, they haven't done one of those in a while. No, they they I think they've decided that they're not going to do them anymore. Oh, so, earlier we were saying how how would this tie into the greater narrative? It does introduce officially Adam Warlock. Right. So we are to assume that the cocoon that was at the collectors was just a red herring and not his cocoon. Yeah, that's. that's well, they true. named him in the. Well, yeah. they didn't fully name him, but you know, well, I mean, that. enough, enough to the point of where you know why bother doing that if that's not what you're doing, you know. Okay. Anybody have any major points before we? Place this up against the Joyce scale. Um, one. See, I, I don't know if it's because this one scene we saw, one of the first trailers, the whole group rocket and the bomb scene. When that point got to, when it got to that in the movie, there was, for some reason, that scene seemed to drag for me because there was all this extra stuff in it that I guess you know was cut or edited, and it was still funny, but it still kind of like, okay, all right, yeah. Let's 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 get on with this. That was more, at, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I am at this point officially sick of the bait and switch with the with the trailers, where they have dialogue in the trailers that does yeah. not wind up in the movie. That pisses me off at this point. It it was I don't know what they were going for when they started doing that, but it, it went from maybe mildly amusing or mildly annoying to now it just outright pisses me off because there were several of those with, and I mean, I only ever watched one trailer for this movie because after the first trailer, I'm like, okay, I'm done. I don't want any more spoilers. I'm not going to watch anything more, but there was the one where, uh, Drax is down on the planet going, screw you spaceship. That's not in the movie. And there's a, there's another one too, a, mm. a big one that I, I, I had it a minute ago and now I've forgotten which one it was, but there, there was at least, uh, a couple more of them and that, yeah, that's just annoying to I me. I think, I think that's a, uh, I, I don't know if that's something they as much do on purpose as it's just sort of an effect of the modern way of making movies, which is. You know, back in the old days, you had to make work prints of everything. You'd cut your, you'd edit it, cut your work print, and you'd send it off to the lab, where it would take a couple weeks for them to get the movies out just in time to go to the theater. Now, that whole movies, you know, they can have, they, they're sitting around with like five cuts of it probably on their, on their massive editing decks, and they're probably cutting it. And now, these movies go out to the theaters digitally. So you can sit there and cut your movie right up until the you know, the day that you gotta send it out to the movies. And I think they I think they do that. So you end up when they have to make the trailer, they send a bunch of material off to the trailer people and uh you know, maybe they maybe I mean it must be frustrating to the filmmakers if that's the case because then they would be like, Well <laughs> that's <laughs> well, I've definitely heard five, a lot of instances. Five lines out that were in the trailer out of the movie. I've heard a lot of instances where the actual filmmakers were upset about what was in the trailer. Yeah, and that's that's another thing. That's another whole deal is the the companies that make the trailers. You know, it's very rare that the the last time I've heard of <clears throat> the trailer being made by the filmmaker was 
Mad Max Fury Road. Like George Miller cut that that trailer, and that's a very rare thing. It's usually people who don't, are a company that doesn't even have anything to do with the production of the movie. They're just a trailer company, and they get a bunch of footage in and and probably a they, you know we want it to be appear this way you know we want it to appear fun and exciting or we want it to appear somber and because you can cut anything you to look you know whatever mood you want it to, right. to look like and 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 i noticed with like the avengers and the iron man movies especially the trailers always seem darker and more intense than the movie is you know when they, when they when they lead up to you know like that second Avengers one with the I have no strings on me sort of thing it you know it has a very like impending doom feel to it that isn't as much in the movie because the movie has a lot of levity in it but you didn't see that as much in the trailer so yeah it could it could be that or it could be it could also be the effect of like wanting to have stuff for the DVD you know for the blu-ray release you know for the the unreleased material to it too and that always that that always kind of annoys me a little bit too the other one was uh, Aisha saying um, I think she says you know who the hell do you think you are or something like that right in that one trailer that that was the other big one I was thinking of. All right, because mm -hmm. it was the in that moment where where Rocket says what he says about them being douchebags. I was waiting for that line, you know, and I heard that being a, a very common complaint with uh, with Rogue One. I know I wasn't the only one that was waiting for certain beats of the movie that never came. Because all scenes that were in the yeah, yeah high fighter coming up on that yeah. ledge would look running really on the exciting. Beach. <laughs> yeah, running on there was no scene of them running on the beach with the plans. Right. Yeah, and in the trailer, I, I, do, I find that really annoying. I'm over it. Okay, so at this <laughs> point, I'd say it's time to put this up against the joy scale, and for anybody listening who does not know. The Jaws scale is not necessarily based on reviews of the Jaws movies, with the exception of Jaws, which is an all-time classic. And if you want to rank this as Jaws, you're saying this is an all-time classic. Very few flaws, if any, and will go down as one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, Jaws 2, based on the Jaws scale, is a solid movie, worthy of multiple rewatches. Not too many flaws, but just not quite at that classic level. Jaws 3... Watchable, entertaining, not much more. Jaws 4, a bad movie. So we'll stick with the order we've been going in. Scott? Um, I mean, ask me again after I've got a couple of uh, rewatches under my belt and, and this score may be completely different uh, down the road. But for the moment, I'm going to say Jaws 2. Um, I think it's a solid movie. I think it's a hell of a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed myself. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's too new for me, and I, I have um, just enough issues with it that it doesn't quite feel like Jaws yet. You know, like it's going to be in that same realm to me. I, I think it's just going to be another, you know, I'm going to chalk it up as another solid entry in the uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I'm not I'm not ready. I mean, I don't even put it on the same level as the first Guardians. So you know, 
that that right there. I, I, if I'm not putting it on the level of, of the original movie, then I'm definitely not ready to put it on, on the Jaws level. So, yeah, a solid Jaws, Jaws 2. William? Um, well, I'm going to retroactively say that Guardians, and I'm sure Scott might agree with this, Guardians would be on, would, would be Jaws. Oh, yeah. So, with Volume 2, only seen at one time, uh, I don't know how it's going to be on the multiple viewings yet, so I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to saddle up with my partner and say, for now, it's, it's a Jaws 2. I would definitely recommend people to go see it. Okay. Mr. Honeywell? I'm conflicted now. I was coming into this <laughs> solid Jaws. I was coming in solid Jaws. And Well, this is this is your review. Oh, I know. You know. I know. Well, I know. That's um, why I'm so but but what the what actually and it wasn't it wasn't any of the complaints. It was when you said this movie's going to stand up as an all-time classic. That was when I was like Wait a minute, do I really think this is going to be an all-time classic? Wait a minute. Just a second here. And and you know, my my first you know, initial reaction is to go impulse is to go like, yeah, it is. But I'm not so I'm not so sure, but I'm still going to rank it Jaws, but it's just nosing into Jaws. Whereas I would put the first Guardians of the Galaxy like both feet firmly planted in Jaws. This is just dipping, dipping its toes in the the, He's, the beach of Amity. The, the first one's <laughs> fallen down into the shark, being being eaten. No <laughs> sharks have been jumped for sure. That's that's definite. <laughs> um, but I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna break with with the other two, and I'm gonna I'm gonna nose it into Jaws. Okay. Um, I'm not gonna comment on where I put. Guardians. People who've heard me talk about it probably can piece it together, but who knows? We may cover that in, on the show at some point. So I'll just leave that on off to the side. As far as this movie goes, I thought it was very entertaining. I really got a kick out of it as it was going along. I thought the comedy beats hit. I thought it had heart to it. I thought overall the action was good. Um, the overacting that Scott pointed out, I thought was intentional. So that didn't really bother me at all, but I do think it falls shy of being a perfect movie. It's not, I don't think it's going to be an all time classic. I mean, I will need repeated viewings myself at some point, but I think that I feel confident that this is firmly a Jaws two movie. So that's where it's going to land with me as well. Uh, but very entertaining. No question about it in my mind. Um, and that's it, unless anybody has any final thoughts. I wanted to throw out a recommendation real quick, if we have time. Sure. Uh, since we're on the subject of Jaws, uh, I just, uh, this morning on my drive to work, just happened to listen to a podcast episode that, uh, you know, for, for Jaws fans, I think you would find really interesting as well. Now, <laughs> this might seem kind of an odd thing to recommend. It's called... The Disney History Institute, that's the name of the podcast. Um, the episode that uh, I want to recommend is episode number 21. It's called The Missing Windows of Main Street Part 2. It's a short little podcast. It's less than 40 minutes, 
But what it is, this specific episode um, talks about a guy named Bob Matty. And he has a direct connection to Disney history, Disneyland history, and oddly enough, Jaws. So I'm hope I hope that's enough to intrigue you. Go listen to it. I think you'll you'll be really amused by it. I th- I thought it was great. I was uh, I was not aware of these these connections and these threads between you know three you know very seemingly diverse things you know Disneyland and Jaws, but uh, there is a direct connection through this man, and uh, I I found it fascinating. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, just for anybody listening, Scott texted me that uh, that link today, and I downloaded the show but i have not yet listened but i'm certainly interested in hearing what they have to say should sounds like fun to me in the meanwhile anybody has any opinions on any of this that they want to share with us the e- yeah. email address is jaws podcast at gmail.com somebody's gonna make a point i just want to say in the last minute my i'm i'm my mind is racing back into jaws even further because now that i'm <laughs> thinking about it that there's another another level of appeal to this movie now that I'm thinking about it and that's just on a pure like James Gunn loves making movies and he loves comics and it's like on display in in his filmmaking in this movie and that's I think like what's pushing it more towards Jaws I think I, I, I it seems to me the general thrust with all of us is we got to get back into the movie theater and check it out again. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. And on that, we'll call it a night. All Thanks, right. everybody, for listening. Thanks, guys, for coming on. You're welcome. And normally it is where I say uh, pimp all the shows that you do, but just tune into, yeah. two, just tune into Two True Freaks. Yeah just, yeah, just pluck up a podcast from Two True Freaks, and you're bound to run into one of us in, in one of them most likely.
Thank you.